I guess that is a matter of time where machines and automation and AI will have some form of intelligence that will either compete with us or augment us. I think this is a question for us as a species. For the past thousands of years, we didn't have a cousin or a brother. Now we may have one. So it's how we understand that and how we deal with it. Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. On this episode four of our series on generative artificial intelligence, we ask how can and should we regulate AI? There's no doubt that intelligence greater than us will be able to solve pretty much any of humanity's grand challenges. The promises of rapidly developing AI are huge, but what about the risks? It is extremely important now to think about regulation and to think about the impact on society, which is, we, we're getting at another level now with generative AI. But what kind of regulation? Some have called for a halt in advanced AI research. We should not slow down research. This is a discovery, this is ingenuity at work, this is how we progress, but there should be definitely some form of guardrail. Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts or visit weft.ch slash podcasts where you'll find our full series on generative AI so far, as well as our sister podcasts, Meet the Leader, Agenda Dialogues and the World Economic Forum Book Club Podcast. I'm Robin Pomeroy at the World Economic Forum and with this look at how we regulate generative AI... This is a critical moment, I would say, in a human civilization. This is Radio Davos. Welcome to Radio Davos and our series on generative AI. And I'm joined for this episode by my colleague, Lucia Velasco, who leads work on AI governance at the World Economic Forum's Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Hi, Lucia. Hola, Robin. Hola to you. I, you know, let's keep it multilingual on Radio Davos. Sounds great. You're Spanish? Half Spanish, half Argentinian. Which half knows all about AI? Both of them? <laughs> Mainly the European one. This must be a kind of a pivotal moment for AI. Why is this such an important moment in kind of the history of this technology? Well, I would say it's uh, extremely exciting to be working on something that almost everyone agrees that is needed. Uh, and also because, you know, this era will be marked on the charts. We will remember this time. We already feel that we are part of something really big, like a relevant moment in history. And that is where generative AI leapt from being a tool in the hands of a few to a transformative technology. Just, you know, as personal computers and mobile phones democratize access to information and connectivity, we're witnessing a very similar moment. And of course, this is, you know, the combination of decades of research and for some, it won't be news, but for most of the population like myself, this is a real tangible moment of disruption. And it's having a great impact on different sectors from creative industries to scientific research. The capability that we are seeing in this models in this generative AI, chat GPT, and similar tools that they can generate from writing, from essays to poems or drafting code. We were told that if you learn to uh, write code, you will have a future. 
And now <laughs> we will need to rethink perhaps that sentence, right? Also how accessibility has exploded. Previously, using AI models required a deep understanding of machine learning and computational resources and really knowing what you were doing. But now I can use them, you can use them, my dad can use them. And it's just this natural language access that we can just ask the machine to write this or create this picture or create computer code that will have a certain outcome. Using, using your own language without knowing the technical language, the programming language, without being able to draw, without potentially being able to write, you know, fluently. Absolutely. It's a, and it's a sudden change. We, we did, just didn't have that a few months ago. Absolutely. It's like we are being able to try to communicate, not communicate, but you try to have a spreadsheet to do something. I don't know how to make it do complex things. But now if I just say, mm. okay, calculate this or do that with my own words, mm. the system will understand what I'm trying to say and will come up with a proposal. And that is... Uh, change. What you will need is an internet connection. And we also need to bear in mind that half of the world doesn't have it. So we uh, need to be mindful of that power imbalance and how we should try to provide access to everyone and not only to, to the few. That's a really important point because we just assume if those of us are lucky enough to have easy access to these tools, many of which are free to use, that, yeah, half the world doesn't have any access to it at all. Absolutely. So when we think that this is global, we also uh, need to understand what the world looks like. But yeah, this democratization of AI is enabling also a whole new wave of innovation and creativity is exponential, you know, uh, and we can expect a lot of new develop developments on top of this. Um and lastly, I would say that we are seeing a shift on how people perceive AI. Although there's still some fears, I don't think that anyone who has been using uh, ChatGPT feels that ChatGPT is going to replace that person, but probably augment their capabilities. And you can do more things faster and probably better and it's a way of being more productive and also being a better version of yourself and i don't think that that is going to be the same or, or imply the same reaction as we had initially with the fear to automation but rather we will see it as a partner for problem solving or for creativity that's a very optimistic outlook I tend to agree with you, but also governance is maybe not caught up with the rapid development in the technology. So that is something that needs to be looked at now. And in fact, that the World Economic Forum is helping bring the stakeholders together to discuss. Do you think we'll be able to keep up with these rapid changes? I trust we will. We have all the elements that we need uh, to make that happen. We have the key industry players ready to contributing to that understanding and uh, tackling the issues that may affect society. We have the governments open as well to public-private cooperation, realizing that they need help 
to keep up with technologies that rapidly change and need adaptive frameworks and anticipatory governance. Let's turn to the interviewees today. First one is Amir Banifatimi. He's an investor. I think it's the first, perhaps, investor I've spoken to in this series. I mean, what would you say is the role of investors when it comes to responsible AI? Well, investors, the people who put money into businesses, have a very big role in shaping how AI develops. Uh, because they can choose to support companies that are open about what they're doing, treat people fairly, and take responsibility for responsibility for the actions. Also, another example uh, it comes to my mind uh, is that investors can help make the AI industry more diverse and less homogeneous. And they can do this by investing in companies led by people from different backgrounds, but also more inclusive in terms of uh, gender parity. If you think uh, globally, only two out of every 10 AI professionals are women and 90% of leading machine learning researchers are men. So if we want to make this technology work for everyone, we should try to get everyone involved in its deployment and in its design. So we'll be hearing from Amir Banifatimi, who is actually a co-chair of the event in San Francisco. And our second interview is Cyrus Hodes. He's been involved in several high-tech startups and he's been on a number of working groups looking at AI um, at organizations like the OECD. And he, he speaks a little bit about the work that has already happened in certain organizations. Are there parts of kind of the global infrastructure that have made progress on the governance of AI? I think that there has been many interesting conversations and relevant ones throughout the years, but there is space to improve. We need to speed up because generative AI is something that's used across the world. This is not something that a few are using in their companies or in labs. This is something that has reached 100 million users in two months. And that is something that has never been seen. So we'll be coming back to governance and the work of the World Economic Forum in that area in the final episode of this series. But for now, we'll listen to today's two interviews. Uh, Lucia, thanks for joining us on Radio Davos. Thank you. My name is Amir Benifetimi. I'm an investor and futurist, and I work towards bringing technology closer to people and try to invest in impactful and sustainable organizations that bring us closer to a sense of abundance and democratizing abundance and life for everyone. Is that something that generative AI brings a promise of, that democratization of progress, do you think? Humanity is always looking for improvement and what ChatGPT has shown to us so far is this notion of augmenting our capability and give us a sense of uh, not being alone in that search uh, of questions that we have and be a companion or as they call it a co-pilot. And uh, I think we all believe that ChatGPT is a turning point like mobile was, like the iPhone was, like many technologies, even the internet was, in bringing the promise of a digital life to almost anyone. And that's one of the fastest growing product launches ever. And but what we see people using it for 
it seems that we are avoiding the blank page issue and then we are um, probably seeing many, many, many innovations trying to translate our ideas of how we interact with others, how we communicate, how we plan, how we predict uh, by leveraging the AI capability. So generative AI, I believe, will have a huge impact on, on everyone, on humanity, and on how we are thinking about cognitive capabilities in general. Has it been a, a wow moment for you? Did you suddenly go on to an application and realize, wow, this is quite something? Or has it been more of a gentle, incremental growth of technology in your experience? Uh, when ChatGPT was introduced, I was personally aware of the prior versions of GPT and language models uh, and have not been so much surprised. My surprise was mostly on the rapid uh, implementation of a chat function to a language model and how fast it was adopted. That was the, the watershed moment for me personally. You're surprised that that many people went onto it and started using it? In the industry, we're talking about applications of AI in many areas, whether it's industry or sustainable development goals or applications of AI in enterprise or government. It was not really part of our thinking that so many people will now have access to these tools so immediately and so easily. When we see how people onboard and chat GPT and use it for a variety of tasks, that's the really surprising moment. Do you have any idea of where it could take us? Let's, let's look at the positives first. Where do you think will be the killer applications of generative AI? Well, every guess is good. I believe that this notion of co-pilot or an assistant to various aspects of our life will be probably the killer application, whether it's to have some learning companion or a preventative health companion, or even allowing us to duplicate our thinking, our life into multiple moments, that is probably going to be the most important part. Because now it's going to free up almost anyone into discovery and creativity and the what-if question. And although it's trained on data that is in the past and we don't know what the future holds, we can still go into a myriad of scenarios without having have the literacy or the training for that. That's, that's revolutionary. So you've managed investment funds that put their resources into AI. From an investor's point of view, what do you think are the big opportunities and what, what are the big risks? Investment in AI is, is growing at such a rapid pace today. I think enterprise is going to be the number one opportunities for investment because many of the processes that organizations are developing and using with human in it will be will have to be revised and will have to to reshape and there is enormous opportunities for investment there uh, beyond that i think the interconnection between organizations will create opportunities for also collaboration uh, with the apis and the different uh, plugins that we talk about today without being technical uh, the concept of an app store where we can have multiple areas of collaboration and implementing solutions without coding or without having to, to do a long cycle of development will solicit many investments. Uh, probably B2B would be number one. 
Um, we believe that there's going to be a gold rush of B2C startups trying to solve almost any problem with generative AI. How many of them will survive and how much concentration will, will be at the horizon, we don't know. It's an interesting expression using a gold rush. I suppose there was a, an internet gold rush as well, wasn't there? A lot of money flowing into, I don't know, we're talking 20 years ago or so, into various things, some of which remain with us, maybe Amazon, for example, others of which have just disappeared into history. Is that, are we going to see another period like that? Is it going to be bigger and you know, even more money flowing around this time? Or, is it, or can we compare the two? The investment in AI is not new. It happens um, gradually over the years and the last six or seven years have increased. Uh, but what we look at how the web, web one, which was the internet came about and web two, which basically led to e-commerce and all the companies that were building platforms uh, and Uber and uh, other companies came about. The promise of web three with decentralized uh, approaches and maybe crypto tokens and others had a huge um, following in terms of investment. And now with what is happening on that market and the discoveries that we have made in generative AI, we can see two, two fronts of investment. One is the investment that was basically going to, uh, into the, 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 the cryptocurrencies being more uh, on the AI side, but also AI itself is, uh, is promising so much change in society that all the funds today have an AI or generative AI narrative, an investment thesis. So I, I'm personally investing in, in multiple generative AI companies. I believe that most funds will have some form of association or adjacency to generative AI and to the AI tools in general. I don't see this slowing down. We're probably going to have in one year a better understanding of what's shaping up and what major investments are coming up. We're going to probably identify the next Google and the next Meta in the next year, who's going to be the winners. And we are learning right now, but definitely is, a, is an interesting moment where the excitement goes beyond the existing capital. And what about the risks then? Obviously, there's a risk of you invest in a startup and, not, and you lose your money. Is, there any, is it any riskier than that, do you think, investing in AI? Um, the risk of investment is always the same. We have what we call a portfolio strategy. So we're trying to invest into a, a number of companies uh, associated with the investment thesis. Uh, there are risks, though, in investment in AI. The first risk is uh, the risk of fragmentation, where not every investment is a winner. And having so much competition will probably erase some of the investment. The second risk is this, that the development of solution needs to abide by some form of responsible AI, ethical framework, uh, fairness and transparency, and probably be uh, subject to some policy and regulation. So many of the solutions may not have, one, the capital to go through all the, all the depth of development, but also be stopped or slowed down by some form of national or regulatory uh, context. So the regulatory context is a big issue being discussed here. The governance, some people would say they're a bit alarmed by the rapid progress being made in generative AI and, and things should maybe slow down for a bit. Or there's various ways that jurisdictions are looking at regulating AI 
have, have we come to any have you come to any conclusions yet about what will be the best approach there is multiple conversations and debate about slowing down the pursuit of development of language model their training and their, their the speed at which is going definitely um, technologists themselves don't always capture the amount of capability that these tools may have but also regulators and policymakers need some time and buffer to really understand where all this is going. I personally believe that we should not slow down research. Um, this is a discovery. This is uh, ingenuity at work. This is uh, how we progress. But there should be definitely some form of guardrail in terms of the models that are developed themselves, how these models are used to build applications, who these applications are serving, how safe they are, and also control the release. We cannot expose the general public that may not be fully trained or literate about usage of these tools and expose them to models that are in the work. So the risk is there, and I think regulators are looking at this. And if we had to slow down something, it would probably be the release or have some form of context for responsible release. I've heard this phrase, responsible release strategies. Is, is, is that what, what we mean by, by that? I would, I would qualify that as responsible risk strategies where we want policymakers and academic and uh, researchers in enterprise to have conversations and to understand the limits of those releases because um, we, we still don't know exactly how these models have to be deployed in all cases. There could be some niche deployment for instance, in healthcare, in education, there are some contexts where there is less risk. But remember, there is always risk inherent to the models, risk in the applications, but also risk of bad actors and those who are exploiting this. Uh, and then the responsibility vis-a-vis -vis the general public is that we have to be careful and uh, consistent in how we not only promote the research, and the investment in those uh, in those solutions, but also how we have a common understanding. Uh, I use the term common, common understanding of what that release means to people, what's the, the trade-off between benefit and risk, and evaluate that and communicate with the public. I think we should have an open public debate about this. And those stakeholders that are the best to organize this public debate should probably act now. Act now, so. Things have to move quickly then, don't they, in, in governance? Time is accelerating. And what we've been doing over the few years now, we see that it's changing almost every week. So I think policymakers and regulators also probably are going to be pushed to accelerate the way they understand, the way they, they come together and the way they can create frameworks for us to navigate better. So from that experience, do you, do you think AI is intelligent? Is that the word? Some people say it's a misnomer. It's not intelligent. It's just doing lots of calculations or lots of predictions very rapidly. Is, is there real intelligence? Or will, will we have maybe even beyond intelligence, consciousness or something like that? Um, I think AI is intelligent. It's not as intelligent as us for now. I don't see why not in the future AI may not be as intelligent. Uh, consciousness is a different question. Uh, how we define consciousness? Uh, having awareness and have a, an embodiment in life will define probably more consciousness. 
maybe with robots one day we'll get there. But I guess that is a matter of time where uh, machines and automation and AI will have some form of intelligence that will either compete with us or augment us. And I think this is a question for us as a species. Uh, for the past thousands of years, we have a cousin or a brother. Now we may have one. So it's how we understand that and how we deal with it. Amir Bani-Fatami, one of the co-chairs of the World Economic Forum's Responsible AI Leadership Summit that recently brought together a range of stakeholders to debate these issues. You're listening to Radio Davos on our series on generative artificial intelligence. Here's someone else who was at that AI summit in San Francisco. My name is Saris Hodes. I work in AI and governance of AI, both as a policy and um, as an entrepreneur. As far as policy is concerned, I started uh, something called the AI Initiative at Harvard Kennedy School, which is now part of um, the Future Society, which is a, a nonprofit which I help grow over the year. We're one of the first entities that was discussing public policy and, and AI. And what I mean by that is uh, educating policymakers about AI and the impact on society. So back then, uh, when we started in 2015, it was kind of like an alien subject to policymakers. Still, to this day, a lot of education to be made um, on their end. But at least, you know, there's bridge uh, that we help build between uh, the technological community and the policy community. And since then, you know, I've been part in many discussion into shaping this governance and to making it into a reality. I would say starting with the IEEE, which had a great initiative on um, getting towards standards. So ethically aligned design AI and automated systems. It's a mouthful. The IEEE is? IEEE. Um, so that's the largest and oldest um, association of engineers in the world. And they work towards standards. So for instance, they came with the ISO standard. So really global standards have been adopted. We're working on standard toward the governance of AI. But after my work with um, IEEE, you know, as a volunteer, uh, we, um, we set this discussion within international uh, platform. And I would say the most important one that I contributed to is the OECD. So I was part of the discussion on governance of AI. OECD embraced that very early um, and is a fantastic platform for gathering uh, government around, around policy and policy recommendation. And uh, we came up with a set of AI principles that have been adopted by all OECD members. Uh, but beyond that, most importantly, during the G20 uh, summit, they've been adopted by the G20. So that means that not only OECD countries, but also China and Russia have adopted these principles. What are the principles? You don't have to list all of them, but could you give us a flavor of what are the most important principles? Sure. I mean, the, the, the pillar, the core of it is that AI has to be uh, human-centered. So, uh, you know, make sure that the AI is getting us toward the sustainable development goals uh, of the UN, which is embedded in these principles. You know, also fairness, accountability, transparency, high-level topic that have been discussed and adopted by many other countries. But the OECD was the first one to basically gather uh, various thoughts around that and embed them into principles as recommendations for government. Another platform that is rather important that I'm collaborating with is the Global Partnership on AI. So Global Partnership on AI, GPAY, has started uh, between uh, France and Canada. Actually, both their um, headquarters are in, in Montreal and Paris. Same thing, looking at beneficial adoption for AI for, for government. So I'm contributing there to AI and climate action and biodiversity. We publish a roadmap 
doing COP at Glasgow for Climate Action, doing Montreal COP15, we, we did the same thing for biodiversity. I'm working with also an AI and agriculture group, which is another group with GPA and recommendation for, for farmers and, and this sector to use AI uh, for the greater good. And obviously there's a strong angle on climate action there. Are we at a pivotal moment now? You've obviously been working in the field for several years, as you've said, and on that kind of regulation or policy side, it seems to be the feeling that now generative AI is really starting to take off. It's been released into the wild and probably policies haven't, haven't caught up yet. Do you see this as a pivotal moment where policymakers now really have to hurry to catch up? Where do you see the, the state of play at the moment? You're 100% right, Robin. Uh, this is a critical moment, I would say, you know, in a human civilization. We're creating what Tristan Harris called uh, golems, which is generative, large language, multimodal models. And by multimodals, I mean, this uh, applies to text and image generation, but it goes beyond that. Um, it goes into coding, which is extremely dangerous to, to let loose in the open. It goes into um, any kind of data set that you have. For instance, Kristen is, is citing this uh, example of an MRI that has been trained on the brain of a human, understanding you know, what the image represents and then give a very clear representation of what a person is thinking about. So within the next couple of years, we're going to have these this golems understanding our thoughts. Uh, so it is extremely important now to think about regulation and to think about the impact on society, which is, which is we, we're getting at another level now with generative AI. So having all companies that are working on generative AI is something essential um, right now. And that's why it's, it's important to have this discussion here um, with leaders in generative AI. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of tension, but there is no doubt that we are at a pivotal moment and we should look at making sure that we have frameworks and safeguards in place. If it's not too late, uh, I still hope it's not too late uh, to be able to make sure that we get into stronger, stronger AI systems that are going to transform our societies even more. Tristan Harris, you mentioned that he's Executive Director of the Centre for Humane Technology. If someone comes up to you and says, I don't know anything about the technology, but could you explain to me the concept of artificial general intelligence? Well, so in a nutshell, um, you know, with artificial intelligence, we're trying to replicate intelligence. We're trying to replicate human intelligence. Uh, what we call artificial general intelligence is when we get to a human level intelligence. So usually I system are extremely good looking at very precise uh, topics and they beat humans. Uh, you know, a great example is chess. When they beat us, uh, they beat us uh, very easily. Uh, the game of Go, which is more complicated, uh, the same thing. But it, it happens pretty much in all the spectrums uh, of society. And as these kind of like integrating itself and large language models, um, multi-models models can, can do that. This is the moment in time where we get uh, a general intelligence. We're getting closer and closer to a general intelligence. Um, and, and this is why we should regulate. But AGI must have some benefits as well, because some of these companies, it's their explicit stated aim. We are going to develop general intelligence. So what is the upside? Uh, you've worked, for example, in uh, climate tech right. over the years. Is there, you know, we we've got a few years left, perhaps, to prevent climate catastrophe. Right. Maybe super computer intelligence could help us. Oh, I... In my mind, and, and in um, pretty much uh, all AI research mind, 
there's no doubt that uh, that intelligence greater than us will be able to solve uh, pretty much any of humanity grand challenges. Again, you know, the 17 SDGs can and will be addressed uh, by a safe and beneficial AI system, a powerful AI system. The sustainable development goals. Yeah. Right. So, um, and, and climate action is part of it. So I believe this is uh, an issue that is transformational to society in a good way and in a bad way. In a good way, it can help solve the SDGs. Great. But let's make sure before that, that humanity and civilization, you know, stays uh, as we are, or at least develop in a way that will be uh, beneficial and appropriate to us and, and keeps us on this planet. Has there been a moment in your life when some technological advance really took your breath away? So why I got into the field of, of AI is because I realized with a lot of people, um, you know, early on, that we are creating an intelligence that is uh, about to exceed us, ours. Uh, so basically, in essence, we're creating a new species. Uh, so we, we know we're talking about um, alien encounters right now, um, and, and UAPs and, and UFOs are being acknowledged by uh, DOD and other uh, government agencies. At the same time, we as humans are creating um, this intelligence that will uh, surpass us. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But so to me, that was the wow moment that I realized this is something absolutely transformational. And, you know, we should have the best minds in, in policy and technology working toward it. So you've dealt with policymakers over the years. What is it they need to know now? And what is it they need to do now when you're talking to them? What are the things you realize they don't understand and you have to tell them? Well, most policymakers are concerned about re-election. Uh, they have a short-term view uh, that is often, uh, I don't want to generalize, but you know, often selfish, often self-centered about how I'm going to get re-elected to the next cycle. At the same time, we don't talk about this most important topic, which is the, the rise of a new intelligence. Uh, there is a lot of education to be made within policymakers worldwide. Uh, th there was kind of like a wake-up moment um, with nuclear safety, where the world decided to collapse together and, and agree upon uh, safeguards, you know, creating uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency and, and looking at the SALT uh, agreement to ban uh, proliferation of nuclear weapons. This is the moment in time where policymakers worldwide should regroup and work towards such uh, an arrangement. So I don't have the answer yet, but I know transportation is being regulated. Uh, pretty much any industry is being regulated. Why don't we regulate AI at the world government level? It, it baffles me, but I believe, you know, with all my colleagues ringing alarm bells, uh, this is the moment in time where it's gonna happen. Cyrus Hodes, thanks to him and to our other guests on this episode, Amir Banifatimi. I spoke to both of them on the sidelines of the Responsible AI Leadership Summit that the World Economic Forum hosted a few weeks ago at its office in the Presidio of San Francisco. And the forums just published an outcome from that meeting, which you can read online. It's called the Presidio Recommendations on Responsible Generative AI. More information on that online. You can find links in the show notes of this episode. And we'll be discussing that and all the work of the World Economic Forum on generative AI in greater depth in the final episode of this series 
next week. To get that and to catch up on the previous episodes, please subscribe to or follow Radio Davos on whatever app you use to hear podcasts or visit our website wef.ch slash podcasts where you can get our whole back catalogue as well as complete transcripts. And if you like the podcast, please leave us a rating or even a review on your podcast app. And if you want to discuss any of the issues you heard here, join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with Lucia Velasco. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week, but for now, thanks to you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>